Hi, everyone. Uh, hey, Romy. Hey, Shachal. How's summer going for you? Uh, incredibly amazing because I don't have kids in August on my head. So everything is fine. Um, working, traveling, living my life. How about you? Well, you're kind of a kid yourself. Uh, but I'm, oh, I'm happy. here we go again. <laughs> here we go. You brought it up. You brought it up. Um, <laughs> so uh, summer's going well. I just came back from a break. What? What was that, Aria? You just tell him that he's old. It's not that you are a kid. I am old. He we'll has get, that we'll, issue, we'll yeah. Age. I have an age <laughs> issue, I know. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of How I Scale My Team. You know, the tech and public market roller coaster keeps on running. Uh, for several weeks, it seems like uh, interest rate fears have dissolved and the bulls are back, market scaling back up. And now it seems fear is back in the market. You know, I just read yesterday, uh, Britain's growth rates are at the worst since 1709. I don't know if you've seen it, Ariel. It's like yeah, 300. Yeah, but I the corona year. Not last year. That's yeah, yeah, for you're right, for 2020. But it's still, it's like, how do they even know 1709 information? Uh, But still, Mm -hmm. market seems to be uh, chaotic. Um, You know, if you want to add more chaos into that, Adam Newman uh, is back in the scene once again. I guess he watched uh, We Crashed and it kind of gave him an appetite uh, to raise a whooping $350 million uh, from Andreessen Horowitz um, and talk, you know, talk about the unexpected. And, you know, if we're talking about uh, Ben and Mark's deeds today, we are hosting on the show the founder of one of Andreessen's most successful uh, investments ever uh, from seed all the way through now. And I believe Romy's the first Decacorn uh, that we have on the show, Ariel Cohen, CEO mm-hmm. co-founder of Trip Action. It's great to have you on the show with us. Hey, Ariel. Okay, great to be here. Great to be here. And by the way, one correction: we are not a decacorn. At least we didn't announce anything like that. You're close <laughs> enough in my world. Don't don't uh, don't contradict yeah. me. It's my show. Um, <laughs> so, so first and foremost, before we dive into and, and uh, I'll hand it off to Romy. Uh, full disclosure: Ariel and I go uh, somewhat a long way back. Ariel actually hired me uh, into my first tech job uh, back in 1999. Uh, we're both uh, students. I believe your second year, I think it was first year or something along that line. Yeah. Paths crossed multiple, multiple times. We're friends. And you actually invested in Stoke as well. Made some money, not enough. And with it, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. It's actually fun to have to do this thing with you. And uh, it was also fun like uh, to invest in stock. I actually thought it was great return. I, mean, I don't even remember how long it took me, Like, but it was actually pretty cool. I remember it took you four months. Four months. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody <laughs> kept track who's, on that. Who's, yeah. who's counting? Not bad IRR. Let's start, you know, Ariel, but, you know, let's start, you know, telling us a little bit about yourself and a few sentences about Trip Actions, how it all started. Sure, sure. So uh, about myself. So yeah, I've been in uh, tech to Shachal's point like for a very, very long time. Um, did different things in big companies like, you know, like Mercury and HP but, and also kind of uh, joined smaller companies like Jive. Uh, did That's my second startup with the same co-founder with, uh, with Elon Twig. Um, kind of like stock, we sold our first startup uh, really, really uh, quickly. And then a time to reflect a little bit and then started trip actions. Uh, we started trip actions seven years ago um, with this idea that there must be a better way uh, for travelers to kind of uh, manage their trip, uh, getting support while they're on the road, coming back and, and, um, and expensing their trip. And, and also for companies to better manage the, you know, the budget policies and so on. So we thought that there is a better way to do that. 
Uh, you know, seven years down the road, we are looking at this in a much broader way. We basically want to change everything about travel. So we kind of have a very, very long-term uh, vision. And we think that there is an opportunity to create uh, really the best uh, travel company on the planet. So that's, uh, that's Sleep Actions in a nutshell. So maybe, you know, before I jump back into your career, but th- there's definitely a better way to manage travel. You know, you and I shared Pat Mercury uh, using, you know, shitty travel systems like, um, well, I can say, you know, Carson Wagenlied and uh, Amex back then at VMware. It's like, I, I don't think I ever used a system that, uh, travel system that I wanted to use. And uh, I remember when we discussed you starting TripAction, it's definitely a, a better way and it's time to get there. Um, and and your, your success shows it. So, um, you know, as, as Romy and I were discussing this episode and kind of your background, I said, you know, I think what's unique about your perspective is, you kind of saw scaling of three different categories. One, you scaled or you scaled teams within organizations, within corporates. Um, for those that don't know, Ariel, I think was the, one of the first people in Israel to build offshore back in Ukraine and scale out that yes. as an operation. You built uh, Stream once, you know, from I don't know zero to I don't know you were what 10, 12 employees. Yeah, small. like yeah, too small. A very small, <laughs> but but again, it's, it's, uh, we know how tough it is. I remember some of the sentences you told me is you're trying to raise funds. I can't say them on the air. What are you willing to do to raise funds for that company? And then obviously you scaled our trip action, which is what a thousand. How many people are you now? No, we are twenty five hundred. We are at two thousand and five. We're actually approaching three thousand. So. Well, good luck. So, if you kind of think about that, if you kind of think of these three categories, um, how do you think about the differences in scaling that zero to one and one to well, obviously three thousand? Yeah, I, I think there are uh, as strange as it may sound, there are a lot of similarities, and more importantly, there is a lot. There are a lot of learnings, right? Uh, you can. Uh, I think that everything that you do or I do. Uh, is kind of learning from the past mistakes. So, you know, I've mentioned or you mentioned the StreamOnce. Uh, StreamOnce was fairly small startup that we sold after uh, nine months. Uh, but a lot of trip actions are learning from thinking about how to build a business, right? When we did stream one, so how to how much product market fit is important, right? And uh, we definitely didn't achieve product market fit at stream ones, and we've achieved product market fit very very fast uh, at trip actions. So that immediately affects uh, uh, scale. Uh, but I would say that the common thread between everything that uh, I think I did and scaled is actually being mission-driven. So you've mentioned the Ukraine. I believed in building, you know, uh, offshore in Ukraine. And, you know, now everybody are doing it, or now everybody stopped doing it. But for very, very, very long time, a lot of companies were, uh, were offshoring, outsourcing to Ukraine and generally to Eastern Europe and all over the world. But I believed in it early, right? So when I had a mission to make it work, um, same as Stream Once, I thought that there is an opportunity to connect enterprise systems in, a, in an easier way. And trip actions, obviously, knowing the problem more from a road warrior perspective, but also from a manager perspective, um, I knew that there has to be something better. And it all, always aligned around the mission. And I know that we're going to talk a little bit about COVID later. Uh, I think that's the key for everything. If you're very, very, very clear of what you want to achieve, all of the other things, how to scale, how to handle a crisis, how to raise money, all of these things are kind of getting resolved. We'll talk a bit about crises in a minute. You know, as you're talking, uh, I see like, you know, small bubbles of sentences that we exchange over the years around strategy. And I think you told me when I started Stoke, you know, when you start a company, you never think it's actually going to become a real company. 
you start a startup, it's an idea, you're starting a shop, you got an idea, you're working, the, you never think it's going to become a company. And then it becomes a 3,000 people company. It doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of decisions along the way. And, you know, how do you recruit? How do you make decisions? How do you prepare for a crisis? How do you let people go? I mean, there's a lot of these small decisions. Yeah. Um, can you tell the difference between, again, doing it at Mercury, HP, uh, doing it at Dream once, which is different, and then obviously now, which is a completely different scale? Yeah, I, I think uh, you you have to have a certain bar to what is your expectation from uh, from people, and you have to keep raising it. And, um, and and I think that's probably the most important thing because as you're thinking about scaling up, um, in the process, you'll decide who is staying with you in the journey um, and who you're going to replace. And, um, and it's very, very important to, to kind of very early to uh, maybe set up for yourself, what are the criteria? How do you decide that you want to keep somebody, that you want to uh, let somebody go? Because the reality is when you're scaling a company, so... We um, we are even now we are growing at uh, this year we're gonna grow at three hundred and fifty percent okay so that's kind of a hyper growth with very very high scale uh, but if I'm taking it to through nineteen right uh, until uh, you know COVID hit we are going at a five x year over year with pretty big numbers right like with a lot of employees with pretty big numbers before you continue that thought I remember when again going back you told me at one point you guys were growing. Um, you know, not very early stage, but after two, three years, we're going at 20, 25% month over month, which was 16X yeah. year over year. That, that's insane. How do you, yeah. how do you prime the pump when, when you guys are growing at that phase? How, how- but that actually is where I'm going with people. The reality is that everybody, no matter what your experience is, everybody are struggling. When you grow extremely fast, nobody have seen it, nobody, you know, have experience with that. Uh, definitely not me, definitely not Elon, but nobody in the East stuff. And one of the most important things that we did very, very early is to hire the key employees from a hyper growth companies. But I'm not talking about companies that grew fast. I'm talking about companies that grew really fast. So you look at my, my East stuff, uh, you'll see people there from Uber, from WeWork, from uh, you know Snowflake, right? So from companies that uh, that the people there were used to grow in hundreds of percentages, uh, you know, every year. Uh, that's the most important experience, I think, that uh, is kind of in in, in my East stuff. But even if you did it, it doesn't mean that you'll know what to do when it hits you again, when you're growing extremely fast. When the goals, by the way, you talked about valuations. You know, valuations comes with are, are coming with goals, right? So with expectations, <laughs> with ex- exactly with expectations, and and you better meet them, by the way. So um, I, I know you know there are a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows, and people are making a lot of speculations. It's nonsense, right? They are, they are, it's actually very serious, and you raise money in a you know in a certain valuation, and people have expectations. So it's by definition a type of growth and I think it leads to people you have to have this bar that if somebody cannot everybody will struggle but if somebody cannot scale to the next level uh, you'll need to say goodbye do you have kind of a qualification method or a question or a trait that you're looking for because you said they're from companies that experience hyper growth but what's beyond that other than the brand or the name or the company that you know what they went through yeah I, I think that uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit crazy especially when it comes to setting up goals. And I need to know that the people around me are crazy enough or will not get afraid 
uh, with really achieving crazy goals. I'll, I'll give you one example. I, I've talked about our growth rate, but if you talk with me inside trip actions, if you're in my team, by the way, the entire trip actions team, uh, you'll usually hear from me, and I mean it, that I actually don't think that we are growing fast enough given the size of the market. Okay, so that means that you need to be a little bit uh, or, or a lot uh, kind of, you need to have this crazy thinking and you and the qualification is that the people around you, when you will have a discussion like this with them, will not think that you, are, you lost your mind, but will actually get into kind of execution mode of saying, okay, so what can we fix to go even faster or what can we do to solve that, uh, that problem? I think the people, that's also my maybe character, the people that are around me, the, the number one qualification would be kind of getting shit done and, and solving problems. And, uh, and I think that's the number one qualification. here. And I think that when you go through that growth, you probably need some you know, brutal mindset to that growth. You cannot, sliding back to mediocrity is very easy. And, and I know you made some tough decisions along the way. And, and I know some of the individuals, even at eStaff, your eStaff, uh, people that you really respected throughout the way as they brought you to a certain level at some point, like, but they're not going to take you to the next level. And it doesn't matter if they're friends. It doesn't matter if it's like you parted ways yeah. to continue that growth. And, and it's it's super difficult. There's a lot to carry on your shoulders saying goodbye to excellent people because um, they're not going to take you to the next level. Yeah. Um, I wish we could do that in the government as well, but uh, unfortunately we don't. I, I think, you know, uh, when you're letting go people for, and, and you're using the right criteria, um, obviously there are emotions in this in both sides, but you will be surprised. Uh, most of the people that I let go uh, over over my career, by the way, just not, not just in trip actions, uh, I have relationship with them, right? And uh, usually at that moment, it's, uh, it's very tough for both sides, but definitely for the person that you are letting go. And there are a lot of emotions, but you'll take these things two, three, four months uh, forward and you'll see that, uh, I wouldn't say friends, but we have good relationships. And I think it's because it's not about like, you know, you you said something, right? Or you behaved in a certain way, right? It's about uh, meeting goals. It's about scaling up. It's, it could be about the values of the company. I recently let go of somebody, I will not get to the names and roles, but that execution-wise, uh, it was actually really, really, really good, but there was a mismatch uh, around the values of the company or where I wanted the company's culture to be, right? So that's more of like wearing the founder's hat and less less of the CEO hat and kind of asking, is our goals enough, right? And, uh, and the answer is not. So I think there are a lot of reasons to eventually letting go somebody when you're scaling up and there are a lot of reasons to hiring somebody when you're scaling up. Um, but you really need to do it in a way that makes sense for everybody. By the way, something that I actually didn't uh, didn't think about it in the past. In the past, in most of the places that I have let go people, I would uh, communicate, hey, we've mutually agreed or something like that. And then, then I actually learned, uh, I got really obsessed about two companies, uh, culture. One is Netflix and the other one is Amazon. And I kind of learned that in Netflix, when they uh, letting go somebody, everybody knows why. They kind of uh, explaining, hey, we have uh, let go of this person and, um, and explaining the company why. And I started to do that. And I realized that that explanation helps a lot. It helps the company to know what, what is the standard. 
but also helping everybody to not playing games because you know people are smart when you're playing these games everybody knows that you are lying and and there is no reason to do that so i think that helped a lot like um probably in the last four or five years in trip actions if i'm letting go of somebody there is a meeting we explain it to i explain it to the company and uh, a lot of times even the people the person i'm letting go is in the room so it will not have this thing that you know how it is somebody is leaving and after that everybody having uh, these things to say about person. by the way i'm i'm a full subscribe to that uh you know i i there's a few books I read over the years. One, uh, Jack Welch's book about you know letting people go, give them opportunity elsewhere, and the other is Ben's book, uh, Hard Thing about Hard Things, about how to let people go. And I fully agree. I think there's something in when you let people go, and again, it, it's it's a slippery slope. So you need to be very respectful how you do it, why you say, why you don't say, because um, you don't want others to do that if they're not right, you know, mature enough to do it in the right way, and you don't want to become a culture of you know thrashing people. But it's like saying, you know, there's a bar and, you know, this is below the bar and, and it's unacceptable and we're parting ways. And I think it highlights the company, your expectation. I fully agree with you. Um, I think that's the right way to do it. But, you know, it's also recognizing another thing uh, because some, sometimes it would be somebody that worked in a company for four years. So, uh, so for four years it worked and suddenly it doesn't work. And you need to give the explanation of where the company is at, right? What has changed? Maybe the strategy has changed. You know, in go-to-market, right, a lot of times what is really changing is the strategy. It's not even the person. It's not the company. The style, you're focusing on different markets and so on. And therefore, you know, you need different type of people. And I think if you give this context, again, it, 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 it's, it's in the context of scale, right? If we're getting back to you know, to this podcast purpose, right? It's it's really in the context of how to scale up. And I think, you know, it all circles back also to transparency and really setting expectations uh, in a very clear way because knowing the mission, knowing what is the bar, it, it what it takes um, to to take this to take it forward, and people need to know it uh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, and then there's no surprises. There's no like misfit. There's no question marks. Things are very clear. Um, so I'm taking you back, Ariel, to you know uh, pandemic and what happened pre-pandemic. You know, you were growing extremely fast. We talked about it. And then one day, like all of us experienced Black Swan, and you know the travel business went into a halt. Everything froze. Everybody stayed at home. Crisis. How did you prepare the organization? Did you have some, you know, signs before? Did you know what were the first kind of messaging to put out there? Take us to that moment. Where were you there? <laughs> yeah, signs. We didn't have a lot of signs before because uh, obviously I think it, uh, it moved really, really fast. I think in February you could kind of start to see things, uh, you know, from China and kind of say, am I worried about it or not? And um, and it's easy also to be delusional, right? To not get worried about it. Of course. <laughs> but I think uh, at the end of February, it became extremely clear to me that uh, that we have a big, big problem ahead of us. So that that uh, that was very, very clear at the end of February. Um, we're, we were so much on a different trajectory that we were about at the end of February to buy one of our biggest competitors. That's actually the discussion that we were having at the end of February. And, and I remember that I needed to completely, obviously stop this deal from happening. It would have taken us under 100%. Wow. Um, so like timing was important here, but also think about scenarios of what's going to happen. And I talked about me, the mission earlier. Before we talked about uh, or thought about how we are financially stabilizing the company, when you grow extremely fast, 
you are burning a lot of money. And I mean a lot. When you're losing all of your revenue while doing that, you're losing two things. First of all, you're losing some of, you're burning even more, right? And the other problem at that point, you know that you cannot raise money. So while it was okay to burn so much money before, uh, at that point, you are kind of, you're in a big problem. So you need to adjust really quickly. But before thinking about that, we were thinking about our customers. We started to run scenarios. Um, I, be, I remember it in the beginning of March of what if we'll need to send all of our employees to work from home, right? Again, now obvious, but back then was not that obvious. And it needed actually massive investment, like to build a call center of working from home. Uh, that's not a trivial task at all. And it's also an expensive task. And at the time that we know that we are about to lose all of our revenue. So the question is, uh, are you making this investment or not? And I remember I had this discussion with my CFO and he asked me, are you really? Because he thought, you know, we're investing all of this money. And he was asking, do you really think that, we, that we'll send all of the employees to work from home? And I remember I told him, it's not that I'm thinking, I'm certain about it. Okay, so we have to, you know, we have to do that. Uh, then we had another crazy scenario back then. We said, what if? Uh, all flights will get uh, uh, stopped by the government, right? What happens in that case? Like, what do we do with our, uh, with our customers, right? And it's kind of, again, obvious right now. Back then, it was crazy shit planning. It's like if you're thinking about, uh, uh, you know, like uh, really extreme cases. I think what you're doing there is, is super interesting because you start running business scenarios. It's not financials. I mean, financials are an outcome, but it's like, okay, let's talk about the real what if in, in the economy. Who was part of the discussion? Uh, when you had these what, what ifs? So I have several people in the company. I've talked about these people that came from Uber and WeWork and so on. I have several people in the company. Um, one of them is uh, Nina. Nina is leading our entire, today, she's leading our entire business travel business. Today we have several businesses. So she she's basically leading this entire business, basically being the CEO of business travel. Uh, back then she was running uh, operations. And she, she, you know, I've mentioned of getting shit done. She has very much this Uber culture thing, you know, like give me a crazy task and uh, I'll, uh, I'll make it happen. And um, she was going into what we were calling surge staffing, which surge staffing had this idea. Okay, if uh, everybody are calling our call center at once because all of the flight got canceled, which by the way happened, okay, what happens now? How fast can we pick up the phone? How we, can we change your flight tickets? What can we do? Uh, it was a very, very fast planning. And a week afterwards, I will never forget it. It was Wednesday. Um, the U.S. canceled. They basically told that in two days, all of the flights from, uh, from the world, but specifically from Europe to the U.S. are canceled. So by Friday, it's done. There is no way to get back from Europe to, to the U.S. And you have huge responsibility for the customers, right? For your users so and we kept at that time i still remember it because we were all watching it six minutes wait time in our call center where if you'd call anybody else it would be ours right so that was extremely unique it was really this program that uh, nina was running around the search staffing and that's just an example so i remember we sent everybody home to work from home and then we create we needed to run the craziest task that you've ever run in the in the call center I'm thinking of this scenario, I'm like, it's, it feels so like a really long time ago, like we are so past it, but it's not that far. It's not that far um, in our, you know, in our life history. And, you know, it's, it's a show about scaling, but what happened there is, is kind of, you know, 
um, scaling down. And and I want to take you like and ask what was the toughest decision because on an organizational kind of perspective, um, did you lay off a lot of people? Did you send people home that you didn't think that would fit to the new business scenario that you were running? Like what happened there in front of the company? Yeah, first, first of all, we so after we've done all of the operational stuff and we also do, did some product innovation, giving people a COVID information where there are outbreaks, stuff like that in, in, in our product. Uh, after we're done with that, it was kind of mid-March, and then then we kind of stopped and said, okay, now we need to stabilize the company. Like the, We will not be able to run the company from a cash perspective uh, if this lasts for more than a year. And we didn't know how it will last, how long it will last, right? There were people very optimistic that thought by the summer it's done, and there were people like me, by the way, that thought that it's two to three years. I, I always thought it's actually two to three years. So depends of your perspective. And definitely we didn't have money to run the company for two to three years. Then there was what we can do, and to your point, we did layoffs. Uh, we were at that point 1,200 uh, employees, and we... Uh, let go of around 300 employees. And then more than this, and that's actually to one of the toughest uh, tasks in COVID, um, unlike now, tech was really not getting hit. And it took a month for people to realize that actually tech is 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 flourishing, right? Uh, during COVID, it was very hard for us to retain employees. So the employees that we've decided to keep, uh, why would they stay, right? The company basically looks like we were... Th- nothing like zero uh, there's likely that will go on there nobody's buying or, or using or even needing the the stuff that we are doing so why would you stay when you can pick up a, when somebody is calling you from zoom and i really mean zoom all day long to join their uh, you know their company right uh, so that was really really tough so we let go of people people left us we ended up our lowest point was uh, 650 employees so we kind of did uh, 1,200 to 650 to 3,000. So it's kind of interesting scaling down, scaling up. It, but, and that's important, we never thought about it as scaling down. We took tough decision. We actually said that that's an opportunity to take more market share. Uh, we kept marketing. We kept the sales team. We continue to build products. And we actually thought about it about this as scaling up. We thought that we can gain way more market share during COVID. We can do some acquisitions. Uh, we can do uh, new products, which we did all of this. And that's actually our business today is significantly. It's not even comparable, uh, not just different, but bigger than compared to pre-COVID. I remember when I did my funding run a little over a year ago, and I was talking to some of your investors, you know, um, Arif and Dovi Francis back then, and and obviously they knew that we knew each other and they were like, they were all saying, so Ariel managed the company. We've never seen anybody managing a crisis that way. And I remember when you and I chatted, you were like, COVID's easy. Compared to what we went through in the past when we were a smaller company, it's like we had the resources, we had the funds, we had we had enough runway to make decisions. And I think what one of, you know, as you're talking through the, the decisions and how you made them, it, it takes me to, to scale an organization, two things. A, you need to be a little crazy, as you said in the beginning, right? You need to make some bald and have big balls. Maybe, I don't know if that's, uh, if that can go on the show, but you can, you need to have the balls 
uh, to go and make these these uh, these decisions that can you know can sway one or, one way or the other. I remember when you told me that businesses travel is going down and you're going aggressively after after market share. Everyone's contrasting in their chambers, and you're saying no, well, let's grab more market share because it's going to be over one day. You weren't you know. Uh, Pitting yourself, and the other thing is, um, you know, you told me that story. I don't know if you want to share. It's like earlier in the company's days, there's a shorter runway, and something hits you. There's very little that you can do, and at that point, you really need to be crazy in order to make it through. Yeah, I, I think that uh, you know there, there is another thing. I'm I'm always having this uh, fight with uh, Ben Horowitz uh, about who had a bigger crisis. So you know, he during Opsware. Opsware. Uh, <laughs> yeah so no but but so that's the debate that we are always having but the funny thing was how do you manage the crisis right and i think that the advantage the, the advantage that he had is that everybody were in crisis so that's the point of you can uh, you know uh, retain the employees you can motivate your team and so on the disadvantage that everybody that ran crisis back then including amazon by the way is that the market from a financing perspective was closed, right? You couldn't raise money. And and I think that uh, at the end, although it's hard for me to admit because I'm always having this fight with Ben, I actually think that he had a bigger crisis because if you cannot raise money, you actually don't have a lot of room for error or any maneuvering capabilities. And maybe that's my advice to everybody. You know, I know that, you know, the market is in a certain situation right now, my advice to every founder right now is don't think about the uh, dilution, don't think about, uh, don't do these sub-optimizations. Uh, think about runway, right? Because if markets are shutting down, I, I, you cannot run your startup, right? Uh, there are, there are, it's very, very rare to have startups that are cash flow positive, if any, and then you cannot run the startup. So I think that having the ability to raise money during COVID was really important. And to your point, we did have crises before when we started trip actions a year in, we look at this, nobody was using us. Nobody got the app. Nobody understood what to do. That's a crisis because you cannot raise money if nobody is using you. We had a big fight with, with actually one of the biggest airlines in the, in the world early, right? Again, how can you manage that? COVID, we already scaled and people put a lot of money in the company. And knowing that, I actually knew that I have more room for, uh, you know, to, to maneuver. Wow. So looking forward and into the future um, and trip actions continues to grow and we call it hyper growth. Um, what is your main challenge? Um, what is kind of the main thing that you're dealing with right now? Yeah, I, I think the main challenge is the company is growing. You want to make sure, you know, there are a lot of employees all over the world, and it's really all over the world. I mentioned at the beginning that I was in Manila and in, in, in Sydney last uh, last week. And Shachar, I think, you know, you'll see it in your next startup. And I think, you know, usually second startup, you, you can see that. Like seeing people, you know, like in Manila uh, supporting our customers, it's so uh, exciting. Like you kind of like, I remember I texted the uh, Elon from Manila and I was telling him, Hey Elon, you would not believe it. Like, I mean, uh, Manila and people are, you know, chatting with our, with our customers. So I think in a big organization, the question is how do you make sure that everybody are going to the same direction um, or everybody even understanding what is the direction, right? So how do you communicate the vision? How do you communicate the mission, the values? It is extremely hard. And, and especially it's, Everywhere in the world, it's different backgrounds. Uh, we did, uh, you know, three acquisitions. Uh, so people are coming from different uh, perspectives. 
it, it is extremely hard to make people kind of going into, you know, in, in one direction. So I think that's the biggest challenge. And definitely if we, and we want to take the entire travel market. So if you have that kind of vision and ambition, actually you really need, it means that one day will be 10,000 employees and 20,000 employees. And it means that you need to really rally, rally everybody to the same direction. It's incredible how many of the people that were on the show mm-hmm. <laughs> talked about that, um, the connection between the people and to always kind of the, the, the North star, um, of the company. Right. So right. exactly. Just to, to, to add to this, I really find it as the hardest thing in, you know, managing uh, companies. By the way, do you think anything's changed in the last five years with the people you're hiring, you know, moving, you know, more millennials, Gen Z, do you feel hiring has significantly changed in how you're looking at it? I didn't think about the question until you said your last sentence. I, I think I, I will try not to get myself into into big trouble by, with my answer, right? And you can probably assume, uh, knowing me, you assume what I think. Uh, I think that people in different types of the world are thinking about the values and themselves as employees in the company differently. And, and, and I always preferred the people that are extremely motivated, uh, that wants to win, that wants to raise the bar all the time. And, uh, and what I'm making sure in trip actions and something I'm actually very, very connected to and obsessed about, is to employ people in the, in these places, right? So if you kind of see our movements around the, around where we are employing, where we used to employ, where are we growing, uh, it's usually in that context, in the context of culture, in the context of uh, where people are still motivated versus where people are not. So Ariel, uh, we're running um, close to the end, and you know I want to ask you a question we ask everyone on the show, and that would be if you had one piece of advice to give you know any leader that's currently you know working, building their team, scaling their team, what would that be? I, I think you know we kind of touched it, but focus on the vision and mission. Don't be afraid to change it, right? If you feel you know as companies are growing, they are getting their confidence. Don't be afraid to make it bigger, to change it, to steer it. And generally, don't be afraid. I actually think that's probably another another uh, kind of advice. But focus on the vision and mission. I think that's the most important thing. And have the courage to go for it. And have fun while doing that. Arielko, um, thanks for being... Well, maybe one last question before I let you go. Uh, <laughs> your dad texted me, when are you moving back? <laughs> 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 I would love, you know what? I love Tel Aviv. I, I know. really, it's the place that I feel at home the most. I love it. And I wish that, uh, you know, we can find a way to come back. You did it. You came back. You know how hard it is. You know, I, obviously I have the trip actions commitment, but also I have kids that are very much Americans. So I need to think about their survival in an Israeli school. But I loved how Ariel actually answered this very seriously with all <laughs> the explanations. Uh, well, yeah. Tel Aviv is always waiting for you, Ariel, for any visit. Shaha will take you out for a coffee or a drink. Um, and, and of course, thank you for being here. Uh, and for your time and all of our listeners don't forget to subscribe so you always know when the next episode drops uh, me and Shaha already excited for the next episode on how I scale my team thanks Ariel thank you